Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we ask that in the word being proclaimed, whether in sacrament or in reading or in sermon, that it's your word that we hear, however familiar, however odd, however comforting, however hard, and hearing that we accept it and believe it and obey. Amen. I'm about to open a time capsule. I will do so by reading a passage that in my imagination anyway, was put away in a capsule that was not to be opened until August 23, 2020. If we had opened this time capsule to read this passage any previous year of my life or of the church's history, this strange passage might be read more as a historical curiosity than a gospel word for today. Now, I'm sure that a good preacher, like our liturgist this morning, Elizabeth Link, could have read this passage in, say, 1954, if she had been alive, or even 2019, if she had been asked, and she could have coaxed a good sermon from it, but it might have required a bit more time spent with her nose in commentaries to come up with the right explanation, or her eyes staring out her window into the passageway to come up with the right words. But this is 2020, and we are in strange times. And in strange times, a strange passage might be just the right pairing. Something along the lines of roast beef and horseradish sauce, or strawberries and chocolate, or apples and cinnamon, or blueberries and steak. Or is that just me? You'll be the judge of whether or not this passage is a good pairing with 2020 when I read it. But first, I want to lift up what is normally strange about this passage. It speaks of animal sacrifices. The preacher of Hebrews, and because Hebrews is a sermon, I call the writer the preacher. The preacher of Hebrews speaks of animal sacrifices to make a gospel point. While animal sacrifices are no longer offered, his congregation knows of what he speaks. The congregation is largely Jewish, and they can hang in there with his talking about animal sacrifices the way that we can hang in there when someone talks about phone booths or playgrounds with metal slides and jungle gyms. We don't normally see them anymore, but we know what they're about. So just to get our minds right before hearing the passage, Here are a few things to know about that strange part of our passage, the sacrifices. In the wilderness wandering days, the years between when the Hebrews escaped from Egypt and before they entered into the promised land, 
Animal sacrifices were offered in a movable tent called the Mishka or tabernacle. Now, when the stone temple was built in Jerusalem, it had kind of the same uh, layout as that tent because it was meant to be a permanent tent. And animals, again, were sacrificed in this stone tent primarily to symbolize the cost of human sin. And then the remains would be burned outside the tent. What kind of animals were sacrificed? Bulls, sheep, goats, pigeons, and doves. If I'd been a priest back then, I know I would have volunteered for the pigeons, not the bulls. And how was the sacrifice to be done? Well, this sermon is rated PG, so I won't go into detail. The important thing for you to know, though, is that there are a lot of details that I'm not going into. The first seven chapters of Leviticus are filled with them. Okay, the sacrifices are the strange part. But what makes this passage not so strange today in our 2020 reality for Second Presbyterians is this. Once we normally thought of the offerings of worship happening inside the walls of the church, and now, where are most of our worshipers in this service? In dens? In kitchens? In cars? On the greenway, out walking the streets, people with buds in their ears. It's strange times. Listen for the word of God for strange times. We have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse he endured. For here, we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to be good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Offer your sacrifices. Outside the walls, the preacher is telling us. Now, to use a phrase that politicians use way too much, let's be clear, and then they're not always clear after they say it, but let's be clear that even back in the good old days when we regularly met for formal worship within the walls of this sanctuary, our passage still had a gospel point to make that was as true then as it is today. We are to offer our lives to God outside of Sunday and outside the walls of the church. But maybe we can embrace that fundamental Christian truth in a special way during this strange time when we gather as a disassembled body rather than an assembled one. Let's first remember what it was like then and what it is like now. Then announcements were read in the bulletin. Now they are read off slides. 
Then a liturgist would call us to worship. Today, anyway, we watched a film where members of the church scattered about town called us to worship. Then Elizabeth Link would say, let us pray, and all the heads in the sanctuary would bow their heads. Well, now in the earlier service, a few heads bowed, but now in this later service, I just maybe see the heads of our two technicians bow. Sound technician Doug with his long hair and live stream technician Darren with his not long hair. But both heads are bowed here and so many more heads are bowed in those dens and those kitchens and in living rooms and in cars and out on walks. We had music then, we have music now, but we have a disassembled choir. And just to push it a bit more, we are disassembled not only because we are not worshiping in the same place, we're not even worshiping at the same time. If this Sunday service is like previous ones, most of those who attend this worship service who attended online will do so later in the day or later in the week by going to a link. So during Bower's baptism, when Scott Berglund asked the congregation if we would help Jason and Whitney raise Bower in the faith, the answer yes is given all week long. Now, of course, I can't wait until we can gather in the sanctuary again, but this passage won't let me whine about it. At least not today. Catch me next week. Maybe during this time of disassembled gathering, the wonderful gospel message and the strong charge of our passage can be heard in a very 2020 way. Here's the gospel message. The sacrifice outside the walls that the preacher is speaking of is the sacrifice that God makes on our behalf in Jesus Christ. The preacher speaks specifically of his crucifixion that happened in a dump where garbage is burned. That's his focal point. But please, don't think of God's complete giving of God's self as being some magical exchange that has to happen for God to calm down. What I'm talking about is this notion in some churches that our sin so angers God that God has to sacrifice a living being in order to get over it and not take his anger out on us. No, the wonder, the beauty of what God offers is so much greater than this idea that the church has called substitutionary atonement. No, the sacrifice is Jesus himself, all of Jesus. The sacrifice is made when Jesus is born, is made as he lives and breathes, when he responds to need with compassion when he preaches, when he teaches the church, when he stands up to powers while also accepting invitations into their homes he gives up on no one, when he crosses boundaries to be in relationship with sinners and with the infectious, with Gentiles, with liberals, with conservatives, and with his frustrating disciples. Every aspect of who Jesus is, that's God's offering. That's God's sacrifice. The sacrifice is God meeting us in our humanity, not only in the church, but also, and perhaps most especially, out in the world where we live. 
in our homes and where we work, in the relationships that we have with loved ones and with hated ones, with family and friends and enemies, in the political arena, in the business world, meeting us in our best moments and in our worst. You know, some have said that it's hard to die for the greater good, but it's even harder to live for the greater good. Perhaps that is the greatest indication of Jesus' divinity. He was relentless in his living for the greater good in all of his humanity. That's the gospel of the passage. Now here's the strong charge. You heard it in verse 13. The translation I read is confusing because it seems to just invite us to abuse Bear the abuse he endured is what I read. I think a better translation is this. Join your sacrifice to his. If Jesus' sacrifice is his whole life, the sorrows, also the joys, the burdens, but also the sheer pleasure of being part of something great and good, his death, but also the meals and the company he keeps and the good work of his life, then join all of that that's in your life to his. Be present in the world as he is present in the world. Be present in the way that we think and speak, the way that we see and treat others, in what we do, in the risk to reputation and body and happiness that come when one lives for the sake of justice and compassion. Be present as Jesus is in present, join your sacrifice to his. Join the entirety of your life to his. We have a hymn in our Glory to God hymnal called, Lord, Prepare Me to Be a Sanctuary. And you heard it. For our call to worship, you saw members of the church quote that title as a prayer before Mary Ann then sang the hymn. You saw Jack Avis say it at home, Aaron Copeland say it in the woods, Cindy Waters say it as she was about to go to the lake with her boys, David Johnson say it in the hospital wearing his PPE as he is getting ready to see patients. And in this time of great uncertainty surrounding schools, you saw Alice Light and Carolyn Sharp, who are teachers, say it in classrooms, asking to be prepared as they face the old challenge of educating young minds and face the new challenge of doing so safely during a pandemic. They are asking to be prepared to be a sanctuary, to be an expression of worship, to pitch their tents outside the walls and thereby join the offering of their lives to God's offering, which is Jesus living and working among us and in us. I'll conclude with this thought. You know, many in our church, we're fasting right now. What we're fasting from are the normal ways that we have as Christians within the walls of the church to worship and study, enjoy fellowship, and serve. And we have to decide whether we can see this fast as simply something that's imposed on us, which is how I see it a lot of the time, or as what a fast can be, a spiritual discipline. As a spiritual discipline, 
in giving up some forms of normal spiritual sustenance, we can draw on the nourishment that Jesus drew on when he fasted and was alone in the wilderness. We can draw on the nourishment of the Holy Spirit and be the church in the wilderness, in the world, where we live and work and play. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.